Good morning. You know, you're talking about the seasons. Um, all you have to do is walk out the door, and uh, there's an object lesson. I mean, you look out there, my grass sounds like popcorn when you walk across it. It's so dry. And you think, how's anything going to ever grow again? And sure enough, it does. You know, the rain comes and the cool weather comes and, and God just shows how faithful he is. So whatever season you're in, just hang on. There's another one coming. And you're going to wonder, why did I gripe so much in that last season? Why did I doubt so much in that last season? And I thank him for the seasons. Um, the secret place. Why don't you turn with me in Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> I was late getting the verses to Karis this week. So uh, you're going to have to open your Bible or fiddle with your phone or whatever you have to do. The secret place. I've been trying to get there. This morning we're going to begin to touch on it. The first time that Jesus references the secret place is within the context of him teaching us how to pray. Okay? And that's what Matthew 6 is. We're going to read a few verses, uh, but we're only going to key off of one in particular. But it begins in chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus says, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full indicating that the recognition from the people of how boisterous they pray is all the glory you're going to get. God's not impressed. And then he says, but you, when you pray, and he uses a tense here, and you see it over and over, when you pray, when you pray, when you're praying, when you fast, and, and that is speaking from an assumption. He's not, he, what he does when he says that is, I don't have to tell you to pray. You're going to pray. You're going to pray to somebody. You're going to pray something. So I'm just telling you that when you do pray, pray this way. He says in verse 6, when you pray, go into your inner room, go into your secret place, another translation says, close your door, Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's the first reference of a secret place. And then he says, and when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive those, for if ye forgive others for their transgressions, transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So he, he makes the correlation between there's something significant about when you pray and the secret place. Okay, can you see that? I mean, he just, here it is. He references it when you come to pray. Now, I believe that in order to grasp the significance of the secret place, more than likely we need an adjustment to our understanding of prayer. If, if, if we're going to grasp the weight and the significance of the secret place, and he references it in terms of when you pray, I think it's important that we're open to making an adjustment to what we've been taught about prayer all our life. Things that have just been reiterated over and over again. Because if you look deeply in this context, he's going to give us some perspectives that are going to challenge what we've been said, what we've been taught at its very core about prayer. And so for that, we're going to reference the dance again, okay? We've talked about this walk with the Holy Spirit being a dance. He's the leader, we're the follower. Well, let me just share a little bit of background here with you. From eternity past, there has existed a dance of humility taking place within the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been in an eternal dance. Just the three of them. It's first brought to light in creation. At first, you don't see it until God gets ready to create man. And he doesn't say, I am going to create man. He says, let us make man. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. There's a dance going on. He's speaking to the other partners in the dance, and he says, you know, what we've done is good. Now we're going to crown it off. We're going to set the, the ultimate expression on it. And for that to take place, let's us, in cooperation in this dance, create mankind and put him at the center of it. And then we find in greater detail in the New Testament where there was a dance of humility. We find that Jesus was involved in creation. We find that the Holy Spirit was involved in creation. And I'm not going to go into all of those verses in the New Testament. But there are several verses that are talking about Jesus bringing everything into existence. And we see that there was a dance of humility, a dance of cooperation 
in bringing into existence everything that exists. It was a corporate expression where the Father, Son, and the Spirit were working in harmony with one another to bring creation into existence. And that's the story of creation. There's a dance going on there. And then, the end of the Old Testament. And after 400 years of silence between Testaments, we find the first recorded time that the Father spoke audibly. Okay? So here's this dance taking place, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They've created. We see it in the Old Testament. It's kind of obscure, and you have to be looking for it to really find it. And then there's 400 years where there's nothing. God doesn't say anything that we know of that's recorded for 400 years. But when he does speak, he doesn't speak to bring attention to himself. It wasn't a declaration of, look how good I am. He could have done that and been true. Look how awesome I am. He could have said that, and it had been an absolute truth statement. But instead, it was a recognition of another member of the Godhead, the dance. And Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. No self-aggrandizing, no, no self-centeredness about it. Because there's a dance that goes on in the Trinity. There's a dance that goes on in the Godhead. And it is a dance of humility. It is expressed in God the Father saying, this, look here, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And as far as I know, as far as I can tell, this is the only time that the Father in the New Testament repeated himself out loud. Because he said that in Matthew 5, 17, and then in Matthew 17, 5, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Isn't that cool? God didn't say, listen to me, do what I tell you to do. He says, this is my son. Humility, love, deference, submission, in the context of that Godhead. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. See him. Behold him. Hear him. Honor him. Submit to him. And there's that humility that exists inside that relationship. And then Jesus, Jesus doesn't just brag then about how much the father admires him. Instead, he in turn exalts the Father. In John 10, 29, Jesus says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. You see the distinction here? Here's the Father defers to the Son, and here's the Son who doesn't take that unto himself and make it something about him. He defers back to the Father. 
The Father is greater than I am. Yes, the Father said, I am his beloved son, and he said he's well pleased with me, but look at the Father. He's greater than all of us. He glorifies the Father by taking a posture of submission to him. John 5, 19, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Let that sink in just for a moment. Here's God saying, I can do nothing of myself. No egocentric attitude here. But he says, unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner, giving us a glimpse of the dance of submission. Jesus says, I I can't do a single thing on earth by myself. If the Father's not doing it, I can't do it. And if I see him doing it, then I'm going to do it. Expressing submission, expressing honor. I honor him. Choose not to do my own thing, but I choose to honor him. John 5.30 says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Why is his judgment just, he says. Is his judgment just because he's God? Is his judgment just because he's always right? Is his judgment just because he is the son of God? No, he says, my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me, deferring to the father. There's that relationship going on. There's the dance taking place. The father exalts the son. The son exalts the father and honors him and says, I can't do anything without submitting to him. It's his initiative and I respond. Then, when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he tells us that the Holy Spirit is going to do in us what he's been doing within the Godhead all along. He says, John 15, 26, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about me. This is a great picture. Here's the Father, and the Spirit of God emanates from the Father. And Jesus then says, I am taking that which emanates from the Father in the person of the Holy Spirit, and I am sending it to you. All three parties working in a dance. No competition. No self-aggrandizement, no self-centeredness, but just humility and just love and deference to one another. And he says when the Holy Spirit comes, he's not going to come and brag about himself. He's not going to come and brag about all the things he does. He's not going to come and brag about all the things he's seen. He's going to come and he's going to testify of me. And all that God has done in me and through me, the Holy Spirit will come to testify, to bear witness. And we talked about this before. The Holy Spirit comes not to speak about himself, but to bear witness to Jesus and all that he is and all that he's done. He then tells us how the Spirit will function. 
John 16, 13. He says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. He doesn't come and speak for himself. He doesn't come and speak whatever he wants to say. It says he does not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. So he's referencing the Holy Spirit. There's the dance. There's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Spirit, there's that love, there's that intimacy, there's that uh, honoring one another, there's that submission to one another, and they work in perfect harmony. And then Jesus points out, this is pretty interesting in light of this, the tremendous significance of the Holy Spirit. Not the significance of himself but the tremendous significance of the Holy Spirit. Listen in Matthew 13, 32, when he says, whoever speaks a word against me, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it'll be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this life or in the next. That is powerful. Jesus says, say what you want about me. But I want to tell you something. Don't speak against the Holy Spirit. Here's the Father. Spirit emanates from the Father. Jesus sends the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't do anything except what he hears the Father say. And here's this dance of intimacy that takes place within the Godhead. So we get a brief glimpse into this dance of love, of respect, of cooperation, of humility that has existed before time between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And then, and then, God did something that must have caused the angels to cringe and then afterward to be full of jealousy. Because God said, we're going to include man in this dance. And the angels went, what? Have you been watching the same guys we've been watching? They messed everything up in the beginning. Perfect world, perfect father, perfect wife. See, guys, you think you want a perfect wife and you never mess up? Adam had a perfect You think you want it all perfect, exact, and wonderful. You don't want these guys involved in the dance. Let them watch. Let them observe. Let them know about it. But whatever you do, don't invite them to participate. And Jesus says in John 17, verse 22, as he prays to the Father, he says, the glory which, with, which you have given me, I now give to them. Now, glory has got a lot of definition to it. Some of the definitions are weight. The, the glory of gold is the weight of the gold. How much does it weigh? Determines how glorious it is. 
And he says, the, the weight that you've given me as your son, I'm now giving to them. The significance that you have given me, I am giving that significance to them. The glory that you have given me, I am giving that glory to them. That they may be one, just as, look at the tense here, we are one. That doesn't make sense. We one. We means more than one. One means one. He's saying we are one. We are in this tremendous dance of cooperation, of love and fellowship and humility. And we're inviting these guys in. We are giving them weight. We are giving them significance. We are giving them importance that they never were able to have before. I am, we are inviting them into the dance. That they may be one, just like us. Be one with us. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. He invites you and me to participate in this dance of relationship, of love, humility, significance, respect, and humility. That's pretty significant. God just didn't say, I'm going to give them a bunch of information and let them figure it out and do the best they can. He said, I am including them in this dance. I want them to be a part. I want them to have the posture that the Father has, that the Son has, that the Spirit has, where there's no self-centeredness, no self-promotion. It's all about them and one another. Now, I want you to imagine, just for a minute, showing up to this first meeting, Okay? Man's been invited to the dance. But man has a perspective. He's been taught something about prayer. He's been taught something about this secret room. He's been taught something about this relationship. Now imagine man showing up for the first time for this meeting where the sole purpose of the Godhead is to bring glory to one another. That's, they exist for that. Jesus, the Father, the Spirit, they bring glory to one another. And now here's man shows up at the first meeting with this accepted view of prayer that we have. And it might go something like this. Hey, thanks for the invite. I need a new car. I need a new house. I need some money. And I want you to give it to me. And I want you to do this. And if you don't give it to me, you're a liar. And I want you to work this out for me. And I want you to change this person. Glad I'm here, but while I'm here, I've got a list of what I want you to do for me and how I want you to respond to my situations. And all of a sudden, because of this perspective, we've made it all about ourselves. Because that's what prayer is for. I can imagine their response going something like this. 
you don't have any idea what all you need, first of all. And second of all, we know what you need before you ever even ask. Seek first to dance with us in humility. And all those things you need will be added to you. That's their answer to it. Listen, folks, the foremost objective in prayer is not to enlighten God to the things that I need and then try and convince him to provide them for me. The first and foremost objective of prayer is to behold him and to allow him to align my life to his will, to his purpose, how to dance, how to surrender, how to submit. Until I embrace this perspective of prayer, my prayer life, as well as my time in the secret place, is going to be predestined to be disappointing. When it's pounded into us that prayer is the means of getting what we want from God, and then we don't get it. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever asked God for something and didn't get it? You're lying. You all have. Why? We had an expectation. When it is pounded into us that prayer is the means of getting what we want from God, and we try it and don't get what we wanted, it's very easy to quit. And I'm telling you, some of us have quit praying because we didn't get what we wanted. We don't know, we don't know how to, we, we don't know what buttons to push to get God to respond. We don't know what sacrifice to make to get his attention. We've tried them all, and we're too honest to just fake it. We set ourselves up for disappointment, or we just blame God. That same posture is true with the secret place. The primary purpose of the secret place is to behold him and to allow him to align my life to the dance, to glorify him, to honor him, to submit to him, to love him, to know him. That's the first objective of the secret place, and it's the first objective to prayer. Our first question in prayer should not be, God, will you give me this? God, will you do this for me? But our first question in prayer should be, God, how do you want your kingdom interjected into the situation I'm facing? How do you want your kingdom? That's what it said in Matthew. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
My first question is, God, how do you want to interject your kingdom into my situation? And how, second question is, how do I cooperate with that? He knows what I need. Brennan Manning said this, our disappointments arise from presuming to know the outcome of a particular endeavor. Read it again. Our disappointments arise from presuming to know the outcome of a particular endeavor. Pray believing. Well, believe what? If I don't hear God tell me what to believe, I don't know what to believe. It's just presumption. How do you want to interject your kingdom into this situation? And how can I cooperate with you? How many of us have had expectations? You know, this thing about the quiet place, you've only heard it 30 years. Okay? I mean, okay. If, that's, if it's not a regular, your, regular part of your life now, most likely at some point you tried it, and it didn't live up to your expectations, so you gave it less value. You may have just quit. Well, that's not for me. It's not my personality. It's not my makeup. And make all these excuses. How many of us have had expectations unfulfilled and just quit? I want to remind you of something I said last week. Don't allow past disappointments to determine future expectations. Don't allow past disappointments to determine future expectations. I tried it. I was disappointed. Therefore, I'm going to be disappointed in the future. Why waste my time? Instead of focusing on how unfaithful we were in that adventure, how about if we focus on how faithful God is to keep drawing us? I don't know about you, but after 10 or 20 times, I'm done. Hey, if you want to live in the flesh, go for it, man. Whatever you want to do. The Father keeps drawing us. He keeps drawing us. He keeps pulling in our heart. He keeps letting those things or causing those things that we seek fulfillment in to fail. Can you pray, God, I pray that anything I seek to bring me fulfillment short of you, I pray you will cause it to fail. That's a little overboard. Don't allow past disappointments to determine future expectations. Change expectations. All right, I'm going back. I'm going back in. I'm going to give it another shot. What's my expectation? My expectation is to love God with all my heart. Let him love on me. And somehow in that process to conform me to the image of his son, to change me from glory to glory. That's all I'm looking for. We cannot judge success in the secret place. 
using a gauge in the flesh. I mean, I didn't feel anything. I didn't understand about it. I don't know. All those things that we determine life by play no part in the secret place. It's determined by this. God is faithful to do what he said he would do and finish what he said he would start. The only way, I never forget what one guy said, the only way to fail at prayer is don't show up. That's it. Only way to fail at prayer, the only way to fail at a quiet time is just don't show up. Because God is faithful to work in that time if we recognize it and let him do it. What's the purpose of prayer? He said here when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't think your many words, don't think your recognition is going to bring anything with God. No expectation. Father, I'm here for you. I'm here to ask you to show me how to dance with you. How to submit. How to love. How to honor. How to humble myself in your presence. I encourage you to go back. We're going to cover more about it in the next couple of weeks. But I think this thing that today is, is significant. We miss the idea there's this dance in the Godhead, and he's invited us to participate. And that participation takes the posture that all three persons in that Godhead already have with one another. All right? Any questions? What would you get that you can take with you the rest of the week? Randy, would you take that, Steve? Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. What I heard was, what are your requests? To glorify God, to praise him, to learn his dance. Those are the requests. That's right. That's what it's about. That's right. <clears throat> Listen, if we, if we can really take that to heart where it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, if we will seek him and seek that intimacy with him, he will change our heart so that all I want is what he wants. And when I ask what he wants, he said he would answer it. But it's don't get the cart before the horse. It's him first, okay? Anyone else? Get anything to take with you? PJ? The thing that I see is God is pleased um, that we do show up, and he does the rest. That's right. That's right. That's, listen, that's a tremendous statement that says, the glory you've given me, I'm given to them. He gives us glory, but we don't take glory. We don't seek the glory. The glory is not the issue. 
I'm here because he's given me the glory. That draws me to him. He's made me significant and given me that worth and that value. Not anyone else. 